Well, this morning we're going to speak on joy. So that's a good one for New Year's or our holidays for everything that the Lord's done. It was about 1 o'clock last night, and I thought, who would have believed I'd been up on New Year's Eve night and not even know New Year's came around because I'm studying this joy concept. The way the Lord started with me was that he and I had made that negotiation deal together of, you know, I'd serve him if, if he'd give me an exciting life. So it started out with a lot of adventure, a lot of joy, never boring. As I've progressed through life, as it's sped up and it's gotten extremely busy, I had uh, one time had to kind of renew my vows with the Lord. I had to reconnect to the, the promises God had made to me as a kid and, and uh, just... You know, sometimes you've got to connect to your original calling with the Lord. You know, connect with just things He's told you in the past. And, well, actually, I was told to go on a three-and-a-half-day meeting with the Lord. And so as I spent time out there with the Lord, you know, I didn't get any deep revelation day one. Day two, you know, I didn't get any deep revelation. So I'm hitting day three, and I've gone through half of day three, and still nothing. And... Then all of a sudden, the Lord reminded me of connecting to my personal promises, and he talked to me about joy. And he was telling me that, you know, everything in my life is to be done with joy. Even different things that I do in life, you know, to do them with joy. You know, whatever kind of work you're doing, to do it with joy. And I've always enjoyed it when people are working and I hear them whistling. You know, or hear somebody singing, you know, it's just, it's like a, you hear the joy that they have. The ability to work with joy... So I come off of that retreat and, you know, I just took every category of my life and asked myself, what would this category look like in my life if it was with joy? And so I went down the list looking at the joy. So my quip was when I got off the retreat, I said, you know, I've never found it to be so hard <laughs> to walk in joy. Amen. <laughs> And it's so hard to keep my joy, you know, that you really sometimes have to work at joy. And that's not how we think of it. You know, when we're young, we think of joy and it's more like uh, the feeling of happiness. But as you mature in it, joy is the deep waters or the pool of joy that God works out of. That's where he brings forth all things in your life. You know, I was just thinking that most people in the church don't think of, they sure don't think of their spiritual side as being with joy. I don't see that they have that concept of joy. I was thinking about joy that you have in different areas of your life, and it can make all the difference in the world if you really deeply have joy going on inside of you. And people are attracted to joy. Some people are really sending out the wrong message with their Christianity because it's the last thing that they seem to have is any kind of joy with what they're doing. This is that concept of joy in my life. I was going to give you two scriptures to begin with, and it's in the book of John. And I know everybody takes these two scriptures. They always try to find a way around them. Have you ever noticed most theology? You can have a beautiful promise in God's word. And people will try to find a way to discredit it. And so there's whole bodies of scripture that if you study them, every single commentary, every single internet person that tackles that subject, they always tackle it to me with what I'd call the exceptions. Or they tackle it with a negative. Or they want to talk about it not working. And so they miss the joy of the, of the promise that God's given. 
course you can you set it in settings and and all those different things but I just really get amazed at how people seem to just back away from what I would call an audacious promise of God and the thing I've noticed about God is that part of the nature of God is he makes audacious promises to you. Yeah. And I think the healthiest thing you can do is to start laughing. Just when God tells you that, and it's so ridiculous, just laugh. How come you think Sarah at 90, when she heard she was going to have a baby, she burst out laughing, and the angel goes, you laughed. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. I didn't laugh. But she names her kid Laughter. Because she's looking at my age, you've got to be kidding. Mm -hmm. And so I'm telling you, at your age, at your stage, what you're going through in your life, the even the idea of joy is ridiculous. When the Lord thinks about having his son born on the earth, he doesn't think normally. And you remember he was messing with Ahaz and said, Name any sign. Name anything you want. Isaiah 7. Just make up a sign. And Ahaz got real spiritual on him and said, Oh, I can't do that. I'm not going to test God. And Isaiah said, What do you mean test God? I'm a prophet and I'm telling you to make up any sign. And Ahaz spiritualized on him. And Isaiah says to him, You know, you weary both God and man. Like you wear us out. <clears throat> and that's not somebody that it, they didn't have any joy in them. And it was in that context of the verse that God got so upset with Ahaz. He said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. He said, I'm going to let a virgin bear a child. But the way he said it, it's making it sound like before a virgin can conceive, it's going to be this length of time. And it's telling about some particular invasion and, you know, this and that. So you could have poo-pooed away that whole prophecy there. It's a very boring concept. But no, when the Lord decides to bring his son on the earth, he decides to do it without the help of man with a virgin woman. So again, you see God having unusual ideals and a very, very unique plan that God had. And then on Christmas, you would think that you were in the, um, in the birthing room and God is so excited that his son's coming that he has so many angels up in the sky that they're crying out, let there be joy. And you finally hear God saying something like, peace to the earth. Yeah. That with all of man, his good pleasure, his favor. And literally, Christ's birth did that. It split B.C. and A.D. You can see that a certain amount of revelation came to the earth with the birth of this child that was born in a very obscure place and so you see God's joy so when your life is not entering into joy it's because you're working against the plan of God like you're sabotaging the joy and so when I got tickled at the absurdity of the promises and that's how God likes it he it, it requires faith of you like if your promises aren't ridiculous then they're still man's plans. If everything in your life, it's possible for you to do them, then you're not doing what God wants you to do. Like God doesn't get into what humans are capable of doing. Because right. then he's not necessary. So in looking at your life, if you're controlling your life, 
if you're clamping it down, you're making it where there's nothing unique, impossible, supernatural about your life if you are forcing your life to go in a way that you can understand it. So the birth of this joy is when you get into the crazy part of your life. And it really it can get that way because the one thing the enemy is trying to steal is your joy. And that's what you have to guard. So with that in mind, that's my spill. Or that's the way that I'm going to explain why are we taking great promises out of the Bible and trying to tame them? Why are we trying to take them and say they don't mean what they're saying? But why not let some places in your Bible stand as just glorious? Why not just let them stand as impossible? Why do we have to put all the exceptions around everything? The purpose that God wants in your life is to be God. Mm -hmm. The people who claim the sovereignty of the power of God sometimes do the least with it. They cap it down the most. Let God be God. I want you to enjoy the fact of what I'm going to call ridiculous joy. That it's absolutely beyond anything that your natural mind can understand. If you're into the natural with your natural mind with the joy, you have not let God into your life. You need to repent and get saved. You have got to let God in. You, this is not a natural faith. If it, maybe you've said, I'll let the man Christ into my life, but I will not let the God Christ into my life. You're not accepting the fact that everything he did was impossible. Yeah. Like in the natural, I can't heal a fly that's dead on my windowsill. But what does God tell me to do? He tells me to enter into the impossible. So with that in mind, I want to take two verses that people, oh my gosh, they put all these qualifications around it. And, you know, I, I had to be out at Steph's and Eric's church in their Sunday school class and doing their little uh, lessons. But he's an old guy, and, you know, I was like, Charles, you're everything, you're, you're, you're wiping them out. You're, you're giving me exceptions. You're having no joy with the scripture. Are you afraid that people are going to trust God and believe him and get disappointed and hurt? Is that, is that the bottom line? Is that your approach to God of, of beware of him? I mean, we act like we're still on Mount Sinai and we're scared of the, the mountain trembling. And if we touch the mountain, we're all going to die. And that's what happened when Jesus pulled back the veil and he ripped it. Like at his death, when he died, that thing that made God unapproachable became where God could come among us. I'm not saying take him lightly. I'm not saying that there's no fear of the Lord. I'm not saying there's not holiness. I'm just saying, but there can be joy. So let me put it into this context with you. If today I gave each one of you a blank check and I signed it on my account, what would that mean? I think Eric and Steph need it today. I mean, bless their heart, they could get their donuts today. Yeah. <laughs> and you like January the 1st, me doing that, because then that means it's going to happen all year long. Yeah. <laughs> but do you know what a blank check means? Trust. 
It's a lot of trust. And I was going to say, if you look at the chapter that these fall in, it's, it's deeper towards the end of Jesus' earthly relationship with his disciples that he, I call it, blank checks them. And there's about, um, I think, nine verses on blank checks. And commentaries and people who teach on this, they so much try to take the trust out of God. And a lot of trust is not just trusting God. It's letting God trust you. I think we're so scared we're going to do it wrong that we, we write things around Scripture to make it not mean what it's saying. I think we're so afraid of God trusting us that we write regulations and fence laws around Scripture to say that, that it doesn't mean what it's saying. Yeah. But I dare you to look. Look at the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. What did the guy get in trouble for with the one talent? It's that very thing that we just named. Not us. No, he got in trouble for not trusting himself with the things of God. Yep. Can you imagine? And so if you want me to preach a hard gospel, I'll preach it hard because no one will tell you this. The one talent guy goes to hell. You would think that the one talent guy would go to hell because he took the things of God and misused them. He embezzled. He he did something terrible. He 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 had wrong thoughts. He wasn't humble with it. He you would think he was um you would you think he'd do all the sins that we're so afraid that we'll do so we do nothing. He went to hell for doing nothing. They don't even have the concept of failing in the talent one. He so takes that out. He's just saying, if you try, you can't fail. He's because, no risk. Because I'm God. Yeah. Steph made a point. You know, I taught on risk. Oh, such a great lesson on risk. I, I put some of y'all on risk management. But the point that I made in risk, she said this, if you don't know God very well, it's risk. Like in the parable of the talents. But if you know God, it's trust. Yep. That there's no such thing really as risk if you know him. Right. Not because of you. This is not us. It's him. Who we're cutting out of the equation in our spiritualizing way is we're cutting God out. Yeah. We think we're being humble with ourselves, but we're cutting God out. Mm-hmm. And so if God trusts us, I'm saying act on it. He knows what a sorry, lousy thing we are. We're a worm and a piece of dust, but when he breathes his spirit into us, we become supernatural. Like, I mean, he doesn't have we much. We overthink stuff. Yeah, we, he doesn't have much to work with enough. I'll be the first to say, I'm a, I'm not, I'm a slight character. I'm, I don't have much, much going for me just in and of myself, except that I believe God. I trust God. And like my dad said, that makes me look. We're pretty average people, but because of that, he said, God makes us look really good. Mm-hmm. So on this, you're looking at a blank check. It's a lot of trust, and it has to do with relationship. When I give you a check, I'm not giving it to you for money to uh, take your impoverished side out of you. I'm not just giving you numbers. I'm giving you trust. 
So when God does this, he's giving us trust. But it's all about relationship. And to do what I'm telling you to do with joy, it's about relationship. And you've got to start talking to God. Even if you're just telling, Lord, I believe you. But help me in my, oh, my doubt and cheese ball self of, of unbelief. Get me there. There's so many times I've prayed that. I'll tell you, I call it the cheat prayer. You kind of cheat. And I'm like, Lord, I just, I'll confess I have faith, but help me in all the areas I don't. Or when I'm faithless, you remain faithful. There's ways that I pray it, and it's funny that I look back years later, and I think, God really did get me there. So my answer was do more, not less. Did I hear God? Yes. But I can only tell you that afterwards. <laughs> what are you using your blank check on? You won't have all that God meant for you to do until you get into accepting the joy of the blank checks. The fear in it is not that God doesn't have the provision to give it to you. I mean, you know his bank accounts are full. You know the streets are paved with gold. I'm not talking about finances now. Finance, money's the least of my concerns. I mean, I looked at it and, you know, keeping all the kids alive is a major thing. To be successful on the trip. Everybody's alive. To have God <laughs> pleased with what I do. Those are the weighty matters. But we're going to go from surviving to overcoming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, those are the weighty matters of the trip. The, you know, I had one parent put a $2 million insurance policy on her son. And seeing me, I told her, I said, is your son worth that? Because he was a real character. Because we might leave him open. <laughs> so the lady started laughing at me. She thought I was funny because, and so she put a $2 million policy on him. Like that solved anything. I know. So I framed it and put it on my wall in my office because it was funny. And it was just the joy of a trip. You know, and you had parents whose kids had raised the money looking at me for kids who hadn't raised the money and me thinking I really wanted to take the ones that didn't have their money. It's funny. The ones who don't have the money are the ones you need on the trip. The ones who had their money, you really didn't want them to go in anyway. So, but those parents were, because uh, they were such, oh my gosh. <coughs> Seems like the ones you don't want to go have money. And they're all mad at me because I'm not buying tickets and they're going up. And, you know, I'm like, you need to just stay out of my business. This is me taking college kids, not you. But you're not organized. Where's your, where's your, I don't know where all this stuff is. Just, I keep it in heaven. I keep it in a vault you know not of. That's why y'all took down my picture and I still like looking at it. I'm like, that was the day I had to believe God. But that's when the Lord told me, can't you trust me a little bit more? Would you kind of back like we're not just dating and that maybe there's a commitment to our relationship like we're engaged? <laughs> you know, like my fingers don't have to have hives on them. You'll find the Lord getting you into that realm of ridiculous. What are you using your blank check on? And... The way I handle things, people are accusing me of not having it together. I get a little bit more ridiculous. Because I serve a God who's ridiculous. I mean, it's really ridiculous the promises he makes. 
And if he wasn't who he is, it would be cruel. It really would. It'd be cruel to mess with Abraham and Sarah like that. And so I'm asking you, what do you do with this in your lifetime? What do you do with your blank check God's given you? And so the first one I want you to look up is John 15, 11. And he says, I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that my joy may be complete. And then the next page over there, he gives you the blank check. Now, uh, the other day when I did all these blank checks together, I think I read about nine of these verses. And I was on a stage and the auditorium was full and, and it was going along and everybody believed it until I got to the blank check part. And then people started getting mad mm-hmm. because it was so offensive. Yep. And I thought, it's really not good preaching till you offend them. Amen. Mm-hmm. Your stinking thinking has got to go. Yes. And you've got to believe God. That's right. And it's hard for me to believe God when I lose my joy. And so sometimes I have to work very hard to have joy. Like the promises God made to me as a kid, I have to keep them on the forefront of my mind and in some ways know that joy is the easiest thing to have. Like I have to remind myself or have someone remind me that joy is how this whole thing started between <coughs> He and I. I mean, I'm Sarah in the tent. I've been laughing the whole time. Like, it's all ridiculous to me. The whole thing, the whole way God started our testimony, our life, our walk with Him, it's all ridiculous. Us being here in this coffee house of the old lady that had so many cats, and I'd come over here and see her, and then her family sells me this house, and God gives us this coffee house. So... The blank check is John 16, 23 through 24. He said, In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. So he's saying, you're not praying exactly to Jesus. You're not in the flesh, in the physical, saying, Jesus, um, I need a little money, go buy the bread for all the disciples. He's saying it won't be that anymore. He said, you'll be able to ask the Father in my name. So you see that veil splitting to where suddenly we're putting right relationship with God because of Jesus. So very unusual scripture. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be made full. Of all the darn things... That the Lord could say, ask for. You would think he would say, ask so all the nations can be saved. And yeah, that's what they're commissioned to do. You'd think, ask so you can be more spiritual. So there's a little more fruit of the Spirit in you. You'd think he would say so many different things here. Ask so, just so that you will be that that righteous person and, and not be that sorry little guilty thing you are. You would think it would say something spiritual sound. But he says, ask and you will receive. It didn't say ask and God's going to say no. But I've heard a thousand sermons on it. Now, I agree with Garth Brooks. Some things we need to thank God for unanswered prayer. (laughs) 
I drove yeah. by a house on, uh, when we were doing nativity scenes, and, and I had wanted that house. I, I thank God for unanswered prayer. Or I wouldn't be sitting here with y'all. I wouldn't have had a college ministry if I'd gotten that house. Thank God for unanswered prayer. Thank God for some of those girls you asked to marry you and they told you no. Thank God for <laughs> unanswered prayers. <laughs> I'm, I'm not looking at any of you. Thank God for those unanswered prayers of some of these people you thought were right for your life and, and you found out, no, they weren't right for your life. Thank God for those unanswered prayers. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We can just all say thank you because that shows that God knows more than we do. It becomes funnier as the years. Yeah. We can all just lift our hands and say a thanks to the Lord right now for that, that he knows more than us. But the reason that you can giggle when you say it is because you realize he's not punishing you. It's not, he didn't tell you no to harm you. He told you no because you weren't old enough to know what you needed or you didn't know how it was going to turn out with this person. There's a lot we don't know. Thank God. <laughs> yeah. Train wreck. So ask and you will receive. Of all things, that your joy may be made full. That's the one that I just hide in my heart. Because there's there's nine blank check ones, I think. I'll have to go back and look at my list. I, they didn't like my sermon. You know, really, I would have preferred if they had said, um, hey, give me that list of scriptures on those and give me a printout. But instead, they're like, like they didn't ask Jesus for a copy of his sermon either. Uh, let's kill you. You know, People find this so offensive. And I'm like, they should. If it's not offensive to you, then you're not taking it seriously. It's very offensive. It's very non-religious what he says to us. So I made a sentence after this, and I want to ask you this question. What are you going to get more in trouble for? Using it wrong or not ever using it? Can you imagine Judgment Day? And we're all afraid of that verdict. I used it wrong. Mm -hmm. But what's going to get us more in trouble? That he put it in there and we didn't ever use it. So when my dad started giving me a hard time about the $42,000, I was not only putting across state lines but international lines into the guy's bank account. It was those parents that couldn't raise their money for their children. I really wanted them on the trip, so I was buying the tickets. And Dad didn't know 6000 of it was his. <laughs> and then I add on it, I use my blank check, and I add, okay, AL, I'll pay for your ticket too. Come with us. Buy yourself a ticket. I'll pay for it. If the devil makes me mad enough, I'm going to get a little crazier, a little more ridiculous. My thing is, if I'm fixing to owe $42,000 I'm going to have to work off, I might as well owe $44,000. What's the difference? <laughs> if you're going for bust, if you're going for broke, go all the way. If you're going to be crazy, go crazy. Believing the Lord. It's only crazy in the realm of human understanding. But in the realm of Bible, it's not crazy. Every single person that you read about in the Bible, it's crazy. Don't try to make them not crazy. If you're trying to make them understandable, you're taking scripture and you're, you're, you're milking it down. You're making it where it doesn't say what it's saying. 
you know why they read easy in the Bible? Because you don't, you're putting your thoughts on it. You're not putting your emotions. If you were with a guy, you would emotionally feel what I'm telling you. Like, emotionally, you feel like a train wreck. Like, emotionally, like, like someone says, Paige, what's, what about these Psalm 91 stories? Did you ever, uh, did you ever think they weren't going to work? And I was wondering what she was going to say. She only had 10 minutes. They'd flown us up to South Bend, Indiana for 10 minutes. And she goes, oh, I, I thought, what's she going to say in 10 minutes? She said, every single time I thought they weren't going to work. <laughs> that wasn't what they were expecting out of her. Every single time I didn't think they would work. That's because we felt the emotion of them. When the tornado's coming towards you, you feel the emotion of your dad telling you, come out of the house, speak to the tornado. All of you love the story because it's in black and white print, safely in a book. And that's how people take their scripture. As long as it's dead, it's okay. Just don't believe it for now. Keep it in the past. Don't believe the scripture can work now in your life. If you do, you're going to get us all in trouble. I mean, preachers don't preach this. Can you imagine if you tell people what I'm telling people from the from an audience, what they would go out and do? Let's, they could wreck everything. You sure don't tell young people this verse. Young people are, are not smart enough to even know the, the trouble they can get into. Like, don't tell a young person this. Like, their brains aren't gelled. Yeah, I mean, science will tell you that their brains aren't gelled. Don't preach this in a college setting. This would be crazy. You know, it's the same regret that those guys had when they were just trying to keep us at the GA camp from crying because we were all homesick. So they each read us some Christian book and I don't make a choice so I end up in God's smuggler group. And they weren't reading it to me to believe. They were reading it to me to, to, to comfort me. And so I went to the altar and asked God, can I smuggle Bibles? He was like, are you ready to have a relationship with me? No. I don't know. I don't know anyone that I want to be like. So let's let's put that off a while. But yes, I do want to smuggle Bible. So he records it in heaven. <laughs> the joy was around my smuggling. The joy wasn't around my conversion. I know all the angels got happy. They they were like the sinner finally got saved. Someone read my book and they said you never make it clear when you got saved. I said maybe it's still in doubt. I mean, <laughs> so. Think about your judgment. What are you using your blank check on? Ask and you will receive that your joy may be made full. Using it wrong or not using it at all. What's he going to get more upset about? The, those verses are sitting there in your Bible and reaching up slapping you in the face. So get you a Sunday school lesson that's going to tell you just make sure you don't have this thought or this motive or, or do it this way. Of course. Those all fly through my mind all the time. It's and I called, tell her, don't worry about them. But I ask the Lord, take care of it. Lead me away from temptation. Lead me around that. So using it wrong or never using it. I think the devil's frightened of us using it. That's why he, mm -hmm. he wants to stop the, my voice, my the message, because no one dares to say it. Because you could get me in a lot of trouble. And I expect you to. That's the deal.
The, the Lord doesn't even get excited until we're in those realms. Now, and if you get into it with your reasoning and you mess up, it'll feel different to you than getting into it with your spirit. Because your spirit is actually trying to believe God. It's not a case for people that are, they haven't figured out the difference between their soul and their spirit. This is for, you can figure it out in your spirit. I have two the other day. I was thinking, oh, they got out there without me getting this cleaned up in them, so I've got to start all over again. And work. They have some responsibility. You know. Yeah. But you feel that way as a parent when you look at your kid and you think, well, that's a hole in their discipleship right there. My gosh. And then you try to explain it to them, and they can't listen because they know more than you now. Uh-huh. So using it wrong or not using it. And to realize... What I wrote by this verse in my Bible was, God is committed to my joy, even more than I am. God is committed to my joy. Go back to the scripture on the receive. Is the last scripture. Oh, you want me to read it again? Uh-huh. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name, in other words, to the mm -hmm. Father, Asking you will receive that your joy may be made full. Complete. Like he's telling you, you work better with joy. So God given to us, the first thing you got to do is receive. And that causes you to do what God does, and that's give. The other day I had something that I was given that I've not ever had. And I was real happy. But then the lady told me, it's no good. And I thought she was joking. She says... It's no good. And I was like, are you joking with me? She goes, no, it's no good. And I became very unhappy. So I went over and sat in a chair, and I got very unhappy about what I had been very happy about a few minutes before. And I realized the Lord started speaking to me, and he said, what's really changed? It's still what you need. And then I got joy. And so notice even in our language, you can be happy and get unhappy. You can have joy, but you can't get unjoy. Yeah. You know, so you can get the unhappy because people can make you very unhappy. People take what I am happy about and they make me unhappy. And I'm going to describe what it looks like to me and y'all may argue me down. But what I see on TV when they try to make people look like they're having a good time, always looks fake to me. You know, like they'll make a party and everybody's at the party. Or, uh, you know, they do it a lot in commercials. You know, like they, they try to make everybody look like they're really having a good time. Or I see them on TV where in certain movies they try to make the people all be very nice and very happy. But it doesn't convince me. It doesn't feel real to me. It's a try to be positive it's a certain way people live their lives when they're only trying to live for self. When they're only trying to get what they want out of life. And that's what we're going to move into is that, you know, when you're going through a struggle, in James 1, 2, it says, consider it joy. Mm -hmm. And I know enough about the Lord that he's not sadistic. <laughs> he doesn't make you smile when you're being burned at the stake. He never, I never saw him messing with our emotions. We're smile when bad things are happening, 
you know, laugh when bad things are happening and cry when good things are happening. I never saw that aspect to how Jesus lived his life. His emotions pretty well lined up with things. So I think sometimes we kind of over-spiritualize it, even though I understand some poetic moments in Jeremiah and some of the verses in, in some of those uh, places. I get what they're saying conceptually. But as far as emotions, Jesus' emotions are very genuine. He wasn't flipping reality on you. There's a difference between faking it, denying it, and actually shifting it. What Jesus did is he came in and he shifted it. Like when Lazarus died, he, he cried. When the lady had her son in a coffin and he stopped the funeral, his words, you can just feel the emotion of him when he says, it's the only, only son of this mom, mm -hmm. of this widow. They, she doesn't have anything else. Those are appropriate emotions for the moment. So he dealt with the reality and he shifted it. So I had to tell myself this considerate joy is not a that fake thing that you try to do to make your life look a certain way. Because when people do that, all they're concerned about is how they look to people. Where Jesus was really deeply giving you the possibility of changing it. And so with this, we're going to put Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning the shame, as he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. When I look at how this verse moves, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Sometimes we have to endure something. We do. We have to endure something. I think it's interesting. You never think about this next part, scorning its shame. He scorned it? It didn't say he let the shame of the cross come all over him. He, he just enjoyed the shame of the cross. He, he, he made peace with the shame of the cross. It said he scorned it. He scorned the shame of the cross. And, you know, I remember Corey Tim Boone saying that in the concentration camp, she was very modest and she was hiding a Bible, number one. But when they stripped her and she was naked... She said, uh, Betsy, I can't bear it, you know, to her sister. I, I can't bear them stripping me and, and just staring and laughing and, you know, shaving our heads. I mean, uh, all this, the degradation they were going through. And all of a sudden, Corey said she put her mind on Jesus being stripped up on the cross. And, and that's this moment that he endured the cross, scorning the shame. But it says, for the joy set before him, it's the power of the age to come. It's what's in the future. And you see, he saw the joy set before him. And we know the joy set before him, it says in either Isaiah or Psalm, I can't remember which one of the Messianic verses, that it says that he could see the impact he was going to have on the generations. He could see you and me getting saved. He thought about the fact that if I endure this and I scorn the shame, that it's going to open the way that all these people can come back to the Father. And so he concentrated on the joy. He received the joy of the future while he was having to endure the pain of the moment. But look at this verse. This is not what the Hebrews verse says. If you take the first part of it, for the joy set before him, then he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. If you take what the joy was in this verse, is he sat down. Like his work is finished. 
when you say a sit down, this is what this is saying too. For the joy set before him, he's going to be able to walk in and sit down at the right hand of God. I started thinking how big that throne must be. And here he's the maker of the universe and, and earth's his footstool and his enemies are under his feet. And I thought that throne might be a lot bigger than I'm conceiving. <laughs> like, I was thinking about where it said the smoke filled the temple and the train and all the glory and, and all the angels are there screaming out holy 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 and everybody's singing and they're off key but it sounds good and they're screaming holy holy you know i told you that episcopalian church once when they were all singing the spirit it just reminds me of of just that holy clamor around the throne of god and and how magnificent he must be and just the sheer size of him and so i was thinking for the joy set before him that Jesus knows his place and where he was going. And so he concentrated on the fact that I've got to get through these the roughest three days on earth that's ever been known to man. The roughest set of hours the where they're handling me with rough hands, where, where they <coughs> lay my back open, where they, they take metal and they just split my back. The worst, I, I just can't imagine them taking thorns and crushing them into his head. And then his best friend Peter, you know, he looks at him when he denied him. And yet he, he had told Jesus, I, look, if they all fail you, I won't. It won't be me. And then he starts going through just the rejection. And then when he, he falls, I mean, I just can't imagine God falling, stumbling. I mean, it's just... You know, you're you're asking yourself that. I mean, scripturally, here he is, God. Is he just fully in his man? You know, side that he that he he drops the cross and he falls down, and and so not to be deterred on killing him. Like they're going to kill him. Like they they want to kill him. So they they just grab a man out of the audience and say, carry it with him. You know, if he can't drag his own cross to be killed with, just pull it up the hill for him and. So they pull it up and just what it must have felt like when they put the nails in there and his full weight comes down on those nails as, you know, as his weight tears at his arms and his, his feet. And, and just thinking he had used those hands to heal with. And, um, you know, you go through it and you wonder a lot of times with people, what did I do to hurt you? You know, what did I do that that got us in this position. He had to get through that. You know, he had to get through that moment. And then he's still thinking of his responsibilities. You know, he, he tells John, take care of my mom. Then he forgives our sins. And, uh, you know, as he looked down in the on the faces, he's got one man saying, yeah, during it, like, you've done miracles. Why don't you throw yourself down? Why don't you... While you're at it, throw us down too. And, and so one guy's just making fun of him and he doesn't stop to explain, look, I have to do this or this is for you, I'm doing it. If I could reach you, I'd rip your hair out. I mean, you, <laughs> he doesn't do that with the guy. Now, on the other side, the other guy goes, look, shut up. We deserve what's happening to us. You know, this guy didn't. And then Jesus looks at him and he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. 
he's seeing ahead into the future. Now, there's not anything we go through. I mean, Corey Tim Boone gave us such a good understanding and picture of the worst that people can hurl at you. It is insulting. It's very insulting. It's it's very aggravating that people that in the flesh that when they get mad at you or you don't perform to the level that they want or their expectations or you know the guy on the cross saying look my expectations is for you to perform that that people have those type expectations of you that Jesus wasn't short term in his thinking but he he could think into the future. And he could see the joy that awaited him and awaited those who would come with him. And so that's what I think that James is saying to us and that there's times in life that you have to put your mind on the joy that's ahead of you. Because you can keep that joy, like stuff a lot of times will tell me, you know, concentrate on the joy ahead. You know, I was coming home and I wasn't really wanting to come back and so all I did was just not want to face the 14th. So I just sat down and I told God, I said, you know, I can hardly even think about it or ask any questions. And I just was like, I've been through this so many times. And I just dreaded the 14th. Well, and, uh, and so I flew home and I'm sitting in my dining room and I'm asking the Lord. I said, what do you say? And he told me, don't think about the 14th, he said. Think about Thanksgiving. Think past it. Look forward to it. Look forward to Thanksgiving. Yeah. Thanksgiving ended up, I spent the whole day with the Lord. Anything else, like you were telling me to look forward to this day. The dread is so bad. You've got to get where you see the joy that's ahead of you. And when I got to the 14th, he just he made it go away. And it's this thing of being trapped. You feel like you're trapped by people. And so it is part of your life that you have to endure the cross for the joy set ahead of you. It is something that you've got to get past the hard part of your life. And if you just talk to the Lord, if I hadn't had that talk with him, I don't know that I would have made it through it. And the more you go with God, y'all, I'm not kidding with you. The more that you really, especially, I don't know what it is because it's not just the demonic demons, but the people themselves will want to kill you. Mm -hmm. And so it is part of your life that you have to endure the cross for the joy set ahead of you. And if you just talk to the Lord, if I hadn't had that talk with him, I don't know that I would have made it through it just kind of with my mind intact. Because the dread is so bad. You've got to spend time with the Lord in His presence. You've got to get where you see the joy that's ahead of you. You know, He's He's really protected me in life that the things that I just thought, oh my gosh, it's almost unbearable. It's the dragon fear ahead of time. It's the vain imagination. When you really get there, God is so in it. Because he's already died on the cross for me, he's already bore that shame and the pain of it. So a lot of times when I get there, it's just that realm and the thicket's all I've got to do. 
there's nothing in the natural that can win over these enemies. Just being right doesn't win. Just being a Christian doesn't win. I, I, well, well, I was wondering, but I would not have guessed that. Uh-huh. <laughs> but he told me some things you leave alone. That's right. You can just let them go on by. Uh-huh. And that's where I was going to give the verse of the joy of the Lord is our strength. And when you think about it, if you lose your joy, you lose your strength. And that's the one thing they try to beat out of you is your joy. My gosh, it's the first to go. (laughs) And I'm not saying there's not a time for anger and it's righteous anger, but righteous anger can still have that element of joy to it because it's a righteous anger. The joy is your strength. Because emotionally, your emotions is what's messing everyone up. Our emotions don't tell us the truth all the time. And the same thing with us is that the devil studies you for where he can slip slip in on us. You've got to laugh or you're not going to make it through this. Let's start with the most simple idea. Reader's Digest made a fortune off of this and it's Proverbs 17, 22. A joyful heart is a good medicine. So one thing we talk about when you get sick, you know, you think of, well, the word's medicine to your body. And so the first thing I would say is make sure you turn to the Lord first. Remember that guy in the Old Testament got in a lot of trouble because he turned to the natural, to the physicians before he turned to God. Now that doesn't say that you can't turn to physicians. It just says you need to make God your source. So, number one is, the Word of God is medicine. But this one, it's unique to say that a joyful heart is medicine. Mm-hmm. And readers, I just said, laughter is a good medicine. They're using this verse. I was thinking about uh, what was said. They said, the hardest people to mentally break. If you're trying to mentally break people, the hardest ones to mentally break, if they have humor, you can't break them down. It's a protection. So it's very healthy, like it's a preventative (coughs) medicine if you can keep your sense of humor. That's why I'm still saying under attack, that joy, it's not just kidding you, it is your strength. You've got to laugh or you're not going to make it through this. I'll never forget, the Lord speaks to me, I'm very young, very, very, very young, but we're about (coughs) to go through a church split. And the Lord tells me, if you don't laugh, you're not going to make it through it. Yeah. And, oh, it was it was painful. It felt like a divorce. I had never seen so many casualties. I, I didn't know what it meant, a thousand falling by one hand and ten thousand by the other. And, and then a year later, they're asking themselves, why did we do all this? But the Lord told me to keep my joy. While everyone else was getting crazy, deceptions. Laughter being a medicine... It's a protection for you, and that's why we're saying we do better together because when it's very emotional for one of us, because we all feel sorry for ourselves when something happens to us. Like, my pain hurts. Mm-hmm. You know, I got so tickled that time I was teaching on suffering, and they talk about all the suffering in the world. Well, when's it too much? I mean, you just got to be honest about it when it happens to me. <laughs> <laughs> so that keeping your joy is very important. Because the next part says, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Mm-hmm. And they say that's literal. That bitterness will dry up your bones. Like, it dries up your bones. Now, any deliverance minister will tell you, any one of them, arthritis is bitterness, unforgiveness. 
And a lot of it's this verse right here. Arthritis is where the joints don't have the oil they need in between them. And it's a drying up of the bones. That unforgiveness eats away the oil in your body. In a, a very real sense, it takes away that oil of joy, the oil of gladness. It eats it up because you're going over and over and over and over something in your head. Yeah. You know, because you try to get so spiritual and it, and you feel yeah. like it's hard to do, but like when I had God walk with me into that day that was hard for me on the 14th and then that just evaporated and then when we did go, we had a fun day. Yeah. From morning till night, we were laughing so hard. Like at each juncture, like how the Lord gave us lunch, we're fixing to leave and then we do the burger thing and some of the stuff we learned that night. And it, there was a lot of joy to it all the way. But the truth is, I've walked with the Lord enough. Y'all have too. We've traded stories with each other that sometimes I've enjoyed my hardest things I've got to do that I dread the most because I want to see what it's going to be like when God walks into it with me. Yes. And you know where you say the joy is in his presence? Like what I really enjoyed was the fact God walked into it with me. So the next one on a joyful heart is a good medicine. Then in Psalm 4, 7 it says, You have put more joy in my heart than they have when the grain and the wine abound and so it's a very unique comparison to talk about the harvest and also the wine you see people when the wine's flowing freely and they try to say it's the most joy he says no there's more joy in my heart than when someone has free flowing harvest and free flowing wine to have joy like my joy is more consistent than what they're trying to work up to and the world is trying to, you know, say they have the most joy and, boy, Christians don't have it. Yeah. If Christians don't have it, they're doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. And that's what I kept telling people is when you sell out to God, our sellout's wrong when it comes with a religious spirit to it. Like everybody's trying to get you to sell out to God with a religious spirit. But in Matthew 13, when it says that you sell all that you have, because you find a treasure hidden in the field, it names the emotion that you're feeling. And the emotion or the substance or the quality that you're feeling and because of the great joy. And so I never trust a sellout that doesn't come with joy. Yeah. That so many people are giving me a religious spirit sellout to God, but they're not giving me a joy in their sellout. Because... If you don't do it with joy, what's happened is you haven't figured out that you found the better deal. And so if you're selling out to God because you have to or guilt or uh, some other reason, fear, you're selling out to God, you can do that. You can sell out on other terms. But actually in that one, you're able to discern value. And until you see that the kingdom of God is worth everything you've got in your life, you're not able to sell out with joy because people are not seeing the, the value of it. And I'm not saying that's a spiritual trick. I think people are still trying to make James 1-2 a spiritual trick that you consider it joy or make it a spiritual trick that you tell yourself, oh, eternity is better than, you know, to have everything you want on earth. 
But in any given second, you'd sell your soul for everything that earth has to offer. That's what would happen in a carnal thing if you haven't established value. You would sell out to the world. You'd sell out to the devil. You'd sell out to the first offer Satan makes you because you're not established in that relationship we're talking about with the Lord. Like that thing of God going into battles with me or going into the most difficult places of my life and he turns them comic or he puts humor with them only he could do so when I think about trading him for the world or when I think about the world I'm like I can't make myself trade away a personal friend like he is like he is my ever faithful friend he constantly goes in to the most difficult areas and then he makes some fun he makes some joy no person can do that for you so the value is what you find in him. That's why King David says those words. He says that in his presence I find fullness of joy. This is not something you have to make yourself work up to in a mental way. Yeah. It literally is an establishing of value. And you've got to put it into experience. Until you start really doing it with the Lord, you won't have your own testimonies. You know, it basically, we're using a whole lifetime of time to spend 30 years to figure out it's as simple as these verses. Yes. Like, you could live your whole life right here in these verses. Like, right here, there's enough theology in them of just the ones on joy to get you through your whole life. Let me give you a, can I give you one kind of on the other end? Mm-hmm. So when I tell you that where it's at, you'll know, you'll get it. Deuteronomy 28, 47, 48. If you do not serve the Lord your God with joy and enthusiasm for the abundant <laughs> benefits you have received, you will serve your en enemies whom the Lord will send against you. Wow. You will be left hungry, thirsty, naked, and lacking in everything. The Lord will put an iron yoke on your neck, oppressing you harshly until he has destroyed you. Let me tell you how... 2023 will be filled with joy. You talk about... The, Amen. The curse yes. describes what the devil does do to us. It's bad. And y'all, this is really what's happening in society. In the morning you will say, if only it were mm -hmm. not. And in the evening yeah. you will say, if only it were morning. Okay, so being sort of scared to trust your joy... And at some point, I'll, I'll tell you my stories on that. But sometimes you're sort of scared to trust it. But I've learned that your joy is one of the most trustworthy things that you can have. Yeah. Like, it has served me well in hearing God. All I know is I felt joy with it. Yeah. Because I'm not going to take this alone. All I can tell you is I felt excitement on it. Yeah. You know, I had so I asked myself, is that the Lord or is it her adventure? And does it matter? You I'm on the phone and they go, I had a dream and Angie goes, Tell her to do it. And I'm like, Who oh, not the dream? She is. hadn't even told the dream to us. And I said, Tell her to do it. And still some to partner with me and it went no deeper than when she said I had a dream, something moved within me. And I'm gonna tell you people are so much trying to get away from their feelings. You know, like, uh, feelings are your caboose. Don't go by your feelings. You know, God's not into the feelings. The whole reason I'm trying to tell them 
Don't let your feelings talk to you. They're not trustworthy. It's so that you can go by your feelings. Okay. By so the Spirit. Like it, you've got to go through that Lordship room yep. to get into the secret desires room. They've got to submit to the Lord. Yes. Emotions. And so it sounds like you're contradicting yourself. But yep. one's, one's the joy of the flesh. And one's the joy of the Spirit. Yeah. And I'm not saying it's so spiritual that it makes no sense to you. But I'm saying that you can trust your joy. And I'll give you an example of, remember when Elizabeth and Mary met and the baby kicked it, and it was joy. When he came in contact with Jesus, you feel that joy. If you're of the right spirit, it creates joy in you. You know, that's why people come to this Bible study. I don't have to drag them or whatever. It's because well, you just wonder what's going to happen next. I mean, there's there's some joy in it. I mean, who's gonna? What are we gonna be telling on who this week? Because you work out what the Lord's saying or or what He's telling you, and think of this in Acts. It says, "In the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire, joy, <laughs> fire." <laughs> so, so you can have a baptism of joy. Yeah. And if we're gonna talk about even going through the end days and what's to be expected in difficult times and what we're standing up to. We've got to have this joy working for us. This is a concept that needs to be applied, let's just say yesterday. Like getting the joy into us, I'm saying we've got to learn to trust that joy. Elizabeth and Mary knew something had taken place just because they felt the, the joy leaps. And so I've talked about those surges of joy I have and I've trusted them to know that's the Lord pushing me in that direction. At this point, you're finding out that if it's a medicine, it's either a medicine because you're sick and you've got something wrong with you, which we all have had. And so the joy goes straight to the place of the problem. Or the joy is a medicine It's preventative and it protects you from sickness. I mean, these are very simple concepts if we'll apply them. Now, this was the one that I looked up last night that I found that I really liked. And it's being led by your joy. And I'm like, okay. Like, part of hearing God's voice is being led by, it's actually peace and joy. Listen to how it's said. Mm-hmm. When I found it last night, it was Isaiah fifty-five twelve, For you shall go out in joy. So in other words, the journey part is the joy. So you go out in joy and be led forth in your peace. So peace is the kind of the barometer of the compass to say, is it right, is it not? But you're being led out in your joy. And listen to how it sounds. And the mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the fields shall clap their hands. I mean, what a, what a verse. Wow. So you're feeling the fact that even nature, if you've ever been out, you're like, oh, the birds are happy too. Like, you can feel the hills are happy, the mountains are singing. You can almost feel the echoing among the mountains of your joy, and the trees shall clap their hands. And at one commentary, he made the point, and I, I'll just read you his words exactly. It's the pulpit commentary. But he makes a point between two issues. And he says, 
You shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. A strong contrast is frequently drawn between the exodus from Babylon and, and the exodus from Egypt. The former occasion was all hurry, alarm, disquiet, danger. The latter exodus will be accompanied by peace and by joy. So both of them were being delivered. Both of them were exodus. Both of them were God calling them out. But one was hurry. You know, one was, you know, all the emotions of danger. But there can become an exodus that you actually have what this is talking about. Being led out of there with joy and coming out with peace. How about if the children of Israel had come out with joy? How about if they had come out with peace? How about if there had been a different set of emotions? Because remember, I'm telling you, the joy's in the journey. So you learn from your slavery exodus. And your captivity one, they came out, and this was the scripture around it. And it was the scripture that this is a different <coughs> way to come out of the captivity. Like, you're so excited, they you're, you're out running right. out. Like, You've got that, you're ready to not be a slave anymore. You're ready to not think of like a slave. You're ready to get the past behind you. And they're real immature when it's that kind of mentality. And the reason I bring this up too is you see it with them coming out of Egypt. I mean, they would do it for a little bit and then they'd have problems. They'd go back to our leaks. So all of us have been in captivity and needed deliverance. All of us have had our life like that. And you can either come out with complaining, a sad face, make it hard on God, take 40 years, or you can come out with joy and be led forth by peace. I which think we need to study It's that. Isaiah 55. Amen. And so you come out with singing and clapping their hands. Think about trees clapping their hands. You know, the rustling of the leaves and the trees. And he's saying that it's actually clapping. That it, it's singing and clapping. I think our lives is going to either look like that first coming out or the second coming out. It's either going to look like, my gosh, I made the journey so difficult. Because I made that deal with God. I asked my dad, if you had it to do all over again, what would you do? And he said, I'd trust God more. And I told God, whatever he tells me that he would do, I'm going to do. Thinking he could tell me, I wish I had done more foreign missions in Africa. He could say anything. But he said I, I would have trusted God more. If I'm going to trust God more, my journey can be more <coughs> joyful. It can be more like that. My emotions don't have to make my joy so miserable. I mean, my journey so miserable. And why do you have to always be persuaded on the Lord that he's altogether good for you? So this might be what we have to answer, and it's Psalm 137.6, my chief joy. So you have to ask yourself, what is my chief joy? What is my chief joy? You know, you can have joy for the first person you lead to Christ. You can have joy, and the disciples did, of the first, the first time you pray for, for deliverance for somebody, and they get free. There's a joy to that. That's crazy. Yes, but... My chief joy in life is, and you try sometimes to be religious and come up with what your chief joy is, 
But it started with the Lord that, I know this seems crazy, but I wanted stories with the Lord. You know, when you first come into the walk, Steph had made the point with us that we had so many stories. And she couldn't see why we felt they were so funny until she started living it. And then you realize how much you live on these testimonies and these stories and you recite them. Like Pat recites his stories. Those are his stories. And they mean something to you. And then you borrow them from each other too. Because you, you get people that what God you did with... by the word of your testimony and the blood of the Lamb. Your stories. Yeah. And when I would hear my dad preach and then the two other men would preach, the difference between dad and the other men was dad had stories with God. They didn't. They had theology. But dad had stories. So I was going to end on a story because I think what I was asking the Lord, Steph calls it my love of adventure, but I think I was asking God for stories. Like I was asking God, you know, I don't think I'm meant to just be in this room. The walls are closing in and locked in. So maybe my love of adventure is just wanting stories. And so wherever I go, the stories follow me. We had a great story that was the donkey and the nativity, you know, the misbehaved donkey. But I was thinking about this year, the kind of the story. You know, all of y'all, I'm sure, have read my mother's newsletter. The newsletter or the Christmas letter? The Christmas letter. And it speaks for itself of what kind of adventure, a lot of joy. But it's funny the thing that my mom gets into. But I just want to tell you a little bit about my side of the story. And it's called My Mother and Vain Imaginations. And sometimes you don't even know if it's vain imagination. You don't know how much reality. You look in the car and they're all, they're all in their golden years. And they're going to drive two days because they want to get to Branson, Missouri. Because Branson is the land of hope. It's the land of free meals. Because all of them want to get there. It's where the Golden Corral So there's all the fun. It's all Christian. It's the way the world should be. It's the utopia. And they don't have as much spiritual worship. All the, all the men are handsome there and all the women are beautiful. It's the land of, of Branson, Missouri. It's the Hallmark movie you can drive through. The Hallmark movie you can drive through. Every year it's a miracle. <laughs> Every year is a miracle. I try to get them where they're not going through cities. <laughs> And then I get on my knees and Steph's, north. And, and Steph's asking me, well, at least the first few years she bothered to, but she's asking me, do you have a peace? Are you hearing God that everything's going to be okay? In the beginning, Steph and I were both asking. Oh the next year, Steph's still asking, but it's, it's dwindled down to where then it only became me asking. And then this year I was just, I just looked up into heaven and said, is it still the same as last year? So how do you say this nicely? You just say, Lord, I'm just praying over them. I say to them, just text me when you get to your hotel tonight. Because it's the first night and it's going and coming I care about. All right, so just text me when you get the first night to the hotel. And, you know, they stop before dark. So they, 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 they pull in at dark. Well, uh, okay, Angie, I'll go. And, and I appreciate you praying. And yes, I'll text you the minute we get there. Mm -hmm. Uh huh. Okay. Uh huh. Nine o'clock. I text my mom. She hasn't text. Nine o'clock. What time did they get dark? Would you say five thirty? Five thirty. At nine o'clock, I text mom. Nothing. Mm -hmm. Next, Remember, I close her at nine about nine forty-seven. I text her. 
Nothing. 11.20, I text her. Nothing. Nothing. Guess what I have now? Vain imaginations. <laughs> I'm having vain imaginations, all of which involve police. <laughs> yeah. And so I, and then you start doubting yourself of, did I hear or am I just tired? You know, have the teenagers taken over again of the 50s generation? Uh -huh. All the time. Uh -huh. When y'all are going, it's just... Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's made us back when we work Anyway, mom texts, just out of the goodness of her heart, at 1147. Okay, now you've seen all the numbers. This is what she writes. I looked on my phone to get it. You would not believe in a million years what we're doing. <laughs> and I write back, well, try me. <laughs> you will not believe in a million years what we're doing. Yeah. Then say the words that I've been longing, lamenting to hear. We have six police here with us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm picturing, what have they done? And you know, you're thinking that they, she better have a good excuse, mm -hmm. but yet I don't want her to have a good excuse. You know, you're thinking she better have a reason it's 1147, but I don't want it to be that reason. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The three of them, I'm thinking they literally could have six policemen with them. Then she says, well, it's a long two minutes. While we babysit two Asian kids. Okay, there her her late text. Well, the story begins. A mom and them go to a hotel. Yeah. And they see two screaming children that go right down the hallway, right through the lobby, and out the front doors. These 80-year-olds have to run to catch them. And they're screaming. And they cling to mom. And it is an all-night story that you must read in the Christmas newsletter. Uh-huh. Of what happened between then and one <coughs> o'clock. And mother was so happy because I made her take a Chinese toddler book. Hmm. Or God made them appear. I just went and got her her books. And I told her, and she went out to the car and she had the Chinese toddler. Wow. So mother's adventure at 1147 began and those women were up at one. And if this picture that I have doesn't describe my mother... And this little baby, and you have to look at the face of Joyce. I mean, oh yeah, the face of Joyce just tells it all. We'll pass it around. And my mom was so happy because of the fact. This is a wrong way, woman. The beginning of November. Oh yeah. Look at this picture, y'all. This lady. Look at this child. And then look at his sister being babysitted by Joyce right here. And look at the picture on Joyce's face. I mean, they can't even go on a trip. Look at that. Look at, look at the length of the baby's face. Look, I'm looking at the length. That's a girl. They had no diapers. They had no food. The hotel wouldn't let them into the room. They had been abandoned children. Abandoned. Yeah, I thought I was going to have brother and sister siblings. 
that my mother found. And I thought, you know, isn't it funny? Mother starts with and ends with getting children orphans. I was just like, Lord, this is just too much comedy relief. And she was so happy because mother goes, well, see, I have adventures too. God sent me on a trip. And I'm like, mother, you sure did. Can you imagine, let's say the end times that we decide, okay, they look terrible. Who wants to read the book? He has to give a blessing to read it. But how about if we did do them with joy? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. How about if we said, we haven't been taught this stuff for no reason for 2,000 years. Right. And we haven't really been doing a good job in peacetime with it. Let's try it out in, kind of like Pat saying, let's try it out during this type of stuff. Of Can we keep our joy during these adverse uh, circumstances? So it's kind of a play on words yeah. that people are talking about in your hearing God's voice. You're led by your peace, by your joy. And I think they factor in more than you think because God has to get you out of those feeling emotions that are going to lead you in the wrong direction in order to get you into those feelings and emotions that lead you towards Him. And that's where your chief joy is. Yeah. And I'm not trying to make it hard and religious sounding because that'd be like me telling you, I'm going to make you love this person. You have to marry them. You have to love them. I don't care whether you want to or not. And that's kind of how we've done religion with God. I'm yep. going to make you love this guy. I'm going to tell you how good he is. You can't see him. You can't feel him, but let's be religious and love this God. And that's what we melted this whole thing down to. When in reality, there is a relationship that if you get started on it, get the adventures, connect to the promises he's made to you. And so on purpose, you've got to laugh. And you pay the respect of laughing at the jokes. When you're scared, you don't understand. When you're, when you're this, because it... Same with God. He's smarter than you. Laugh at his jokes. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> and you start laughing at his jokes. And it becomes, you get joy back. But if you get mad and crunked and all out of, bent out of shape, it's that thing that men test each other for its attitude. God's testing your attitude. When he's funny, burst out laughing. Name your kid Isaac. I don't care. You've got to laugh or you're not going to make it through this. Because the text I'm getting from everybody scared about what's happening in the world around them are not joy. No. So this is an exile. This is a captivity. We've got to be led out of it. Yeah. Yes. So maybe that's the message that we can look at Pat and just say, I wonder if God would answer something like this. I wonder if we could literally give God joy during these times. Yes. Amen. Amen. Amen.